0: Hi, everyone, it's Chris Licerenco from Revolutions per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreoncom Revolutions per Movie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards. Upcoming guests include Ann Magnuson of Bongwater, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Kosali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of the Cryptic Corporation representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at Patreon.com/slash/revolutionspermovie, and thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy the show. My guest this week is Logan Lynn. Logan is a songwriter, producer, filmmaker, television personality, and activist who Billboard writes has made a career out of crafting catchy, disorderly songs that almost all include big beats, fun melodies, and cheeky lyrics. He's been producing and releasing music for the past 25 years, and has albums and singles on Caroline Records, EMI Records, the Danny Warhol's Beat the Worlds Records, and Kill Rock Stars. In 2018, alternative rockers Portugal The Man partnered with Logan Lynn, on infusing advocacy into their summer tour, engaging the crowds around music and mental health at each sold out show. The following year, it was announced that Lynn had officially joined the Portugal The Man team in the role of the PTM founder executive director Help build the band's charitable foundation, which he launched in partnership with the band in 2019. Lynn also joined forces with tech company Top Level Design in 2019 to bring the Dot Gay platform to market alongside George Takei, Glad, Centerlink, P Flag National, Adam Lambert, Roxanne Gay, and other queer luminaries. And Logan was also named one of the Out 100 in the Performers of the Year category by Out Magazine. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Revolutions Per Movie, Logan Lynn. Hi, Logan.
1: Hi. Hi there. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm really excited because you're the first guest that has ever had a parental advisory sticker on their record that I've talked to. <laughs> and I think that's great. super cool. Do you remember? I love being there. Was that a label choice at the time? Or is that just like, that? that was such a thing from the past.
1: Yeah, I mean that that thing ruined my childhood years. Basically, <laughs> made it where I, but where like made music mystical. One of the two, but yeah, I I have always said what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, and I have earned several of those badges. I think in the early days it was label, and then now it's like Apple or some tech person. Right, right. But it's so funny
0: because, you know, like your last record, New Money. You know, yeah. it's just like have yeah, the lead songs eat and drink and smoke and chop and fuck there you go that's your hit you know yeah
1: love it yep i had a
0: question about how you you know you've been making music for so long and yeah. i feel like do had kind of an indie rock you know sheen on it traditional instrumentation bass guitar drums my movie star was vocal piano and then the last record was very pop you know, got to my heart. Cause I'm a synth pop yeah. kid too, you know? <laughs> Good, and that. so does your lyrical content drive the instrumentation of your record or how do you decide where you're going to go with this?
1: Yeah. I, you mentioned, I've been doing it a long time. I, eh, I get so bored with doing the same thing over and over. I think traditionally everybody sort of expected me to be doing like a kooky quirky, electronic pop thing and so i i wanted to make a, glo- a glitzy glossy rock record right and then i was like what if i quieted it down what if i just like shut up and made a piano record yeah. i think a lot of that, that you're mentioning is me experimenting and feeling bored and free to do whatever the hell i want sure. um, and then, you know back to my roots with new money I, I think getting signed to kill rock stars and it being the middle of the pandemic and we couldn't go dancing like i just wanted a gay club experience to happen and tried to make that happen at home with with that record and the label was down. This this album that's coming out um starting this month, starting in February 2024, uh and then coming out all the way in June, uh, is called Softcore. And it is, I think, kind of a combination of those of Aju and um new money. Not, cool. not, not, not so much in theme, but in sound, like there's a little bit of uh rock. There's a little bit of dance. I feel like it's a little bit time machine back to the music I loved in my youth. Um, so to answer your question in a very long drawn drawn out <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. It starts lyrically. And then, and then I think I listen to how the songs feel like they're supposed to be and then that 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 determines the producer that determines who I work with. You know, I was raised in an acapella church, yes. and so all of my songwriting always kind of starts in this weird acapella spiritual way, wow. and then music is secondary to that.
0: Yeah, your upbringing is pretty amazing. It was, Nebraska,
1: is that right? Yeah. But, oh, I mean, no, I've healed. It's fine. Uh, yeah, it's just the smallest, worst possible place for a out gay. Child to burst into the world, sure. I um I I think it it gave me a lot of good stuff you know around values around like um I really really enjoy uh quiet earth land you know, uh-huh. things like that like I, I'm into that part of it but the culture piece is so weird and twisted and bad yeah. so I was I was definitely part of that and affected by all that.
0: Well, the film you picked. 2018's Vox Lux. You know, it. I'm so curious to get into this with you because I had not seen this film. Um, oh, okay. I, I, This film, I think, came out right when I was closing down the... No, I, the video store was closed by this point, I believe, when this came out. Yeah. It had been on my radar a bit and I really liked Brady Corbett. I liked his acting. You know, he was in yeah. 13 and mysterious skin funny games real easy light fair <laughs> you know <Yeah>. so <laughs> you know he'd made films before so i'd heard about this but it it really i it was i'm so curious about what made you pick this film i mean there's so much to talk sure. about but like just when, when did you see this film Did you see it in the theater did you hear about it how did you discover this
1: I did. Yeah. I saw it in the theater. I, it was like a random thing. Like, I was just like, oh, that looks super weird. Like, what is that? I'm going to go see. It. Like, I had just seen Black Swan mm-hmm. and it was in like a Natalie Portman moment of some sort where sure. I was like, everything she does is cool. I swear to God, I'm just going to watch it all. <laughs> so that was part of that. And it was so astoundingly strange. Yeah. The, from the moment it started, just like the way the credits even are at the beginning, just everything about it fell off. Yes, And it creeped me out. It creeped me out so entirely that I was like, oh my God, I gotta watch that again and again and again. And I have, you know, I've, I've, there's something about it that I am moved by, I think. Mm -hmm. I think specifically probably having like a really traumatic experience that leads you into music. I think I can relate to that personally. Having music be like the pathway to healing or to like, finding community of people that have some sort of shared experience.
0: It's a very heavy lifting film and there's has dark moments that are funny, but what was really interesting about the film was I wasn't sure that I liked it, but I can totally replay it in my head. It stuck (laughs) with me. And the more I read about it and the more I thought about it, I really think it's kind of an amazing film. The film starts with narration And Willem Dafoe does the narrator in it. And I guess he was just asked like a week before to just come in and read this stuff. (laughs) And he was like, it was a really quick thing. I didn't know what I was doing. It starts out, it says, Celeste is born in 1986 on the losing side of Reaganomics. Many years before Celeste rolled off the cultural tongues, she might not have been described as all that special or conspicuously talented. However, she did possess that proverbial something which on occasion captured the attention of all the other teachers and young peers. A very savvy businesswoman in the beginning. She was kind and full of grace, and at least she wrote her own lyrics. No one could take that away from her. She would be 13 going on 14 years old in the year 2000. And that is kind of the start. And then it goes backwards to the prelude of 1999. The film is kind of broken up in a couple sections. So you're, you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be a traditional tropey music film. Yeah. The reason she's a success or on anyone's radar is she's in a school shooting. Yeah. That's really shocking and very upsetting at the beginning of the film. It's just right out of the gate. And she's one of the few survivors. And that credit sequence you talk about, I loved it. It was one of the best credit sequences I've seen in years. It really reminded yeah. me of 70s filmmaking where... The film is just the tragedy is moving along and they're telling everyone who's involved in it, the lighting people, the sound people, and it really knocks off your expectations.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super kooky. And you're right that it's a visceral experience that they throw at you at the beginning, I think. Like they bring you into the trauma of the shooting and then send you into the ambulance, right? Yes. And in the, the middle of the ambulance ride, you're watching like, as you say, like the cinematography credits, I wish it's just a it is a trip and a half. Yeah. And I, I think there's something about the way that they do that, where I just was interested on a movie making level, right? Like, forget what's happening. Like, I was just like, oh, this is so weird. I've never seen this before. And so it drew, it drew me in in that way. Yes. And it continued to do that, I think, throughout the, the movie, like it does a bunch of weird stuff where I'm I still can't believe they did that the music scene at the end is so long yes it's like you go they, they do the whole concert not like clips of songs entire songs and performances no I can't wait to talk to you about that because that
0: also was really ambitious and interesting and I again I was like I'm not sure this is working all these parts you know it, it's it there's yeah. two different actors playing. Um, Celeste there's an actress playing her when she was young and that's Raffi Cassidy and then Natalie Portman plays her later in the film as a young adult and then the woman who played the young Celeste also plays the older Celeste Natalie Portman's daughter Albertine in it same actress yeah that I thought was really handled really well and I thought Raffi Cassidy who is in it more than Natalie Portman was kind of amazing. That seemed like a Super really amazing. hard part to play because what happens is she kind of, she writes a song while she's with her sister, while she's recuperating in the hospital from her trauma. She's one of the few survivors. And so then she performs this song at a um, at vigil and people are filming it. The song gets taken over by america it becomes their song yeah it's their thoughts and prayers thing and people are starting to make it into this thing and she becomes a celebrity through this tragedy and so you were talking about how you came to music and you know lyrically and stuff through you know the things that you yeah. talk about through your personal trauma and stuff like that did that yeah. when you're watching this did you go like oh shit I see some of this even though it's not the same story
1: yeah it's like super magnified in a way right like it's my my trauma was like long and lower level at times and just over years and years and that is different than having some kind of like really traumatic experience all at once um but it, I think the reactions the same right like we are um feeling people who think and we have this way of like, dealing with whatever's happening to us, it, it sort of doesn't matter if it's, like, all at once or over time, like, trauma is trauma, and, and the trauma response is is similar, so I did, I do feel, uh, I I think there's a similar through line there, just around, like, I would have never gotten into music if I hadn't needed to, if I hadn't been somehow expressing something that I couldn't speak otherwise, like, it was an outlet for me to, get the poison out in a way that I really needed to, I had like a toxic thing going on that I needed to alleviate. And so I think trauma is that way for everybody. And they, I felt like they did a good job of showing just like the one plus one is two of it all. Yes. Where, you know, the bad thing happens. You make something beautiful out of the bad thing. You get rewarded somehow. And yet you're still in the bad thing. Right. You know, just because you've written a song about your trauma or you've gotten an award for a record about this bad thing that's happened to you doesn't mean that you're healed. And so I, I think they did a good job of like highlighting the complexity of spotlight in the midst of fame or in the midst of trauma, fame by way of, you know, hardship, just all of that stuff, which I do think is, you know, kind of cliche in the industry. But also the reason it's a cliche is that it happens all the time and it's like a very real The very real thing. So Yeah. It's like recording
0: sessions, label problems, artwork problems, management (laughs) problems, tour logistics. It's like the film does not really gravitate onto any of the joy of being a musician or or a performing artist. It's it's about just being thrown into this thing and and having to kind of accept the role that that you all sudden the public's thrown on you because we're talking about it's an interesting choice that she chooses not to all of a sudden start a band like oh, I'm gonna start a Sonic Youth band or you know something hey. like an indie <laughs> indie alt thing or a Riot Girl thing. Yeah. It's pop. She is like Madonna, Pink, you know Taylor Swift. Yeah. That is her world, and that that I thought was a really interesting choice. And I, I it made me wonder, do you think like pop artists, sometimes I do feel like they bear their souls in a way more than indie rock people do sometimes? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I just had your, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I feel like you play in that medium a bit.
1: I do. I am I'm a weird one because I've got one foot in indie and one foot in like this kind of, you know, the outskirts of mainstream pop land. Um, I think there's something that happens to female songwriters and queer songwriters and, and probably pop singers where they're expected to do a little bit more because they're not writing or playing music or something like they're expected to bear more physically, like we're showing more skin. There's something about like, you have to be overtly sexual for that to work in that, in that, um world, which is why like my songwriting kind of works in that world because I've always just written about sex in a way that is kind of unflinching. But I, I think there is especially in that, that movie, there's like a a thing where she's expected to dance in the midst of her recovering, yes. she was like, I, I can't dance too hard because I've got this bullet lodged in my vertebrae. Right. And the chick's like, well, can you do this slide? And she's like, yeah, I got it. And to me, like, that is so exactly how my major label experience was. Like, people were like, Amazing. oh, good, good song about cocaine and struggle. Um, No, one, uh, no one's going to ask you how you're doing or if you need help, but, like, keep on singing about the cocaine and now dance. Um, and like we're gonna give you all this money to go do a glitzy thing but like it was all about me being addicted every single song was about i want to die and people were just like cool this is so great oh, <laughs> so i so have much. a i have a real experience of that where it was just such a trip in my life to be like i'm literally telling you all that right. i'm at the end of my road and you're just like can we get you to say it into the mic wow. um and that was how that movie felt, you know? Like she's she's just survived this thing just barely. She's in a bandage and the team around her, none of them give a shit about her or yeah. if she's okay or healed. They just, they see a pathway to money or to a moment or, or whatever it is. And I think that happens a lot. And it, it maybe is harder to have happen now than it was in 1998 when it was like happening to me. Like I think the internet is just, a lot of people in my history would have gotten canceled if they did <laughs> if yes. it was happening now right like a lot of what happened to me just would never happen now so um it's an interesting thing to look back on but i think it's common i think it probably looks different now than it did for me or than it does for celeste in the movie but i i think there's a universal thing of like it's kind of lonely at the top you 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 crawl and you scratch to get into the room and then you're in the room and the room is a little dismal. So,
0: yeah. And the Jude Law character and her managers kind of interesting because at first he's, he seems protective. He's been hired by the parents to take care of them and make sure they don't get into trouble, which they do. You know, she gets pregnant, you know, first sexual experience. And so she has a child really young, but it's also, he's, he doesn't want to get fired from his job and his cash cow. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's a really weird line he walks and Obviously, as, as they get older in the film and they have more adult conversations, their relationship is much different. Yeah. But when you were watching it, what was your allegiance?
1: Oh, or... I he just seems like such an archetype of a dude that's in the industry to me where he's <laughs> like, I'm going to go my way in. Don't worry, parents, I got this. And then it's just like, you know, he's making money, too. It's it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, Have I was 17 when I got signed. That first record I put out were wow. songs that were recorded when I was 15 and 16. That shit should not have been released, right. is how I feel about it, right? Like, I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to apologize to everyone <laughs> And it's like, but that wasn't really on me. Like I was a teenager, like whoever put that out should apologize. So there's a little bit of that. I think as I watch that movie, just like who's really watching out for you? Sure. I didn't have a sister that was like in it with me. So I think in some ways like that is a, one of the more wholesome parts of the movie is like their relationship yes. or at least the potential of their relationship and like her enduring love, like all of that feels like kind of beautiful, but I don't think that's very common. I think for the most part, you know, I don't know why we're letting 15-year-olds sing. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I actually do, but like, it is so crazy. And we're like, oh, did you hear who 15-year-old is dating? It's like, right. no, we don't care. Like, stop watching TMZ. It's super strange, that that whole thing. And I think they capture that in a way that is real in that movie.
0: I think so, too. Their relationship was really interesting because they were very close and as the film goes on, they just don't have any respect for each other. They're very different people. Yeah. And it's alluded that that the sister is writing, starting to write the lyrics and be involved and is kind of really the talented person where Celeste is just kind of the face and yeah. the performer. But also, you know, you're talking about this film takes place in 1999. It starts yeah. there. And you're talking about making music in the late 90s. It was also, I grew up and there was so much like, transgressive art and music, you know, and things that were like big black song about fucking, you know, it's all, it's just like, things were like, just, you know, it was like kind of um, you go to the butthole surfer shows and get disturbed. And, you know, it was like, you were kind of on the right side of wrong a little sometimes yeah, because (laughs) you, you were, you were fighting against something that, that you, you wanted to upset people. You know, you're yeah, we like, fuck all these people who are going to be upset by this because they're on the wrong side of so much. Yeah. Um, so I, I I'm giving you the revolutions per movie seal of approval on on being 15 and making music because, you know, I was in death midget when I was 15. What do I know? <laughs> right. You know, it, <laughs> it was like it. and I it was happened. in it for too long, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, writing songs like you're a nation, I'm a nation. Oh, Thinking that's it. really clever when you're 15. It you know? withstands
1: the test of time, also.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, no,
1: I I own it. I've thought about taking all of that down. I'm sure someday I'll get canceled for some piece of it, but I just I have to own it. That's it's like that existed. Right. Like if I take it down, then it feels like it, I'm trying to cover something up, and like right. you can't. It's been 25 years. Can't no, it's
0: super interesting, and I think it's worth having. A conversation about it, then instead of, I mean, it's, I think it'll be easier to be like, I was 15. Where, were you, where, so. where, where were you on a label when you're 15? Like, you know you have... <laughs> how forgiving
1: the internet can be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe this, I'm excited. Maybe this will be my first canceled uh, episode. I love that. And, yeah, uh, let's, uh, we'll, 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 we'll really push that. Um, <laughs> so she goes, she's making um, the album, and it's, it, there's a really interesting, sidebar that I hadn't heard about because the music in the film, Scott Walker does the soundtrack, like the traditional, you know, composition. It was his last thing he did before he passed away. And Sia does Mm -hmm. the songs like the actual pop songs, but they talked about this thing at one point when they're overseas in um, Sweden, making this music, they talked about the Swedish pop mafia And Mm -hmm. about these schools. Do you remember this part? I don't. So there there's just like a weird sidebar, and then they start showing like archival footage from the 30s and 40s. And what happened was there were these things called Swedish municipal music schools. And their their original purpose was an initiative to basically it was an antidote to Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, anything, Mm -hmm. any bad Western like, you know, influence coming in, like, all right, boogie woogie, jazz, it's yeah. sexual. And so they set up these schools to have people learn classical music and traditional music, uh, you know, like from like a national music. And what happened was it eventually failed, but mm-hmm. all these people in it, like, that's where, you know, all the biggies, like Backstreet Boys, Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson, they all worked with these Swedish producers, oh, you know, One Direction. Katy Perry's uh, California Girls and Britney Spears if you see Kay, uh were all by this super producer Max Martin, and he said I have public music education to thank for everything. And they huh. basically took this stuff generationally, because it was built, and then yeah. they misused it, and they basically became, they did exactly the opposite that this that Sweden wanted them to do with it, which is protect the youth
1: right. from
0: this thing. And then instead they're making this super sexually yeah. charged pop music for the youth. Right. The film does that. It'll just be like Willem Dafoe talking about this scene. And then you're
1: back to them yes. <laughs> finishing recording. Yeah. The sidebar feels a little bit like a book in a way at times where you're like, I'm going to go read just like the liner notes quickly yes. to you. So the director, Brady,
0: was working with this person, Chris Braid, who produced a lot of Britney Spears songs. And he said the actors are worried that they won't be able to sing to this track. Should they practice with someone or get a vocal coach? And he said, Brady, don't worry. No one can sing. (laughs) And so they left in that really kind of you can't tell if the music's good or not. You can't tell if the vocal performances are is good or not because it's. It's just her voice, very plain, yeah, kind of pitchy, a little unemotional. And they're like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix out. it. We'll fix it. Right. Yeah. You know, did you have much trouble with producers and production and, and getting your stamp on it? Or were you able to push your, your you know, your thoughts and your ideas on production into your records?
1: No, there's that whole major label era like when i listened to from pillar to post or some of those things that happened around that time that it doesn't sound like the record that i was trying to make uh-huh. And i think that's because like emi made us re-record my vocals they made me go back in they were like it, it doesn't register you need to go back in and record it high and then we'll layer that in so there's like a whole layer of like me singing mickey mouse high vocals layered in for whatever fucking reason and like just stuff like that that i would never do now it's also like really buried you know they were like the first single should be bottom your way to the top because you're gay, and like you know nobody wanted to hear that song as the first single in 2008 or 9 so i think i there were times where i listened too much to people that were in charge because I was so excited that somebody was paying to make the record or that I had a finally had a real publicist. Sure. Okay. Manager I'll wear a sailor suit. If that's what you want me to do, like, just like bullshit. And I would just never do any of that now, you know, like I'm, I'm so far on the other side where I'm like tour the record. Are you kidding me? No. Like that is like, just like now I'm in such creative control and just, you know, comfort control over what I will allow the music industry to do to me or make me feel. But like there were times where I wasn't. And and you can tell, like those are the times where I like publicly spun out or I quit or I sue somebody or I cry and run off stage. Like I, there's so many weird videos. And I guarantee you every single one of those videos of me doing something weird over the years is connected to somebody somewhere Forcing me to do something that I didn't want to do, yeah. um, and ever since I, that stopped, I haven't done any weird stuff on video. You know, <laughs> I'm like, Imagine I just needed—I needed people to stop torturing me right. for me to stop acting out.
0: It's—it is a weird scene, the music scene. It is, you know, and I'm always amazed when people can navigate it unscathed, but I think it's hard. I think it's really hard,
1: hard. Even the people that are like, it's almost like the more successful you get, the harder it gets in a different way. Sure. And then, you know, trying to pivot from whatever level you're at at any given time. It's just wild. I I feel really happy with my career in retrospect. Um, And like where I'm at now is great. Love it. But holy crap, the living it and the Getting from there to here was a super bumpy ride. Thank you, music industry. (laughs) Well, the film does a really good
0: job of that. I mean, like I said, it's very disjointed. And so it's quite untraditional in that way. But it made me think a lot about how pop stars have to be spokespeople. You know, Michael Stipe or Bono or Beyonce. It's like, what are your opinions? What are you thinking? What are you teaching us? What is that? Um. What does this mean? Why are you not? Why is this just why is this just a candy fun song when you should right. be doing, you know,
1: <laughs> you're supposed to be a prophet.
0: Exactly. It's it's <laughs> fascinating. I think that film does a really good job of making you think about those things, because, you know, there's some stuff in it where they're like, I don't want people to think too hard. This is just pop music, you know. Right. And then she's making the music video. And I think nine eleven happens. Right. During the same time. So it's just loaded with global trauma. And what happens is the film splits into act two, which is now Natalie Portman as an a, a young adult. Celeste, she's still very young. Um, and uh, well, I wouldn't say young adult. She's early thirties, maybe.
1: Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like 30, 30 to mid thirties.
0: Yeah, and the second act is called Regenesis. And it's a lead up to this big comeback concert she's going to have in her hometown, the hometown of her tragedy. But this starts with this mass shooting attack in Croatia on this beach. And the people who are doing the shooting are wearing the masks that she wore in the music video when she was really young. And so it's like they're using it's just like the appropriation of her grief into yeah. the art she made and now into another tragedy.
1: I took that as you can't escape your trauma. Like tra- I always think about trauma as like a visa card and like you can keep putting shit on there, but it's going to keep popping up. They're going to send you a bill, you're going to see it, and eventually you pay that stuff down. Um, and I feel like that happens a lot where it's like, okay, I've ter- I've transformed this into something beautiful, but I haven't healed i haven't actually processed it so this fucking thing's gonna keep peekaboo trauma or like it it turns into like whack-a-mole and you're like this external thing's happening or this generational trauma thing's happening because my personal trauma is like being compartmentalized i i thought that was a complicated thing to try to put into the film but it is actually like really common real way that trauma happens right like of all the things that happen like she has to like then be associated with it again and i think the way it happened in my life that way was like trauma reenactment like i was like in a cycle of because the bad thing felt like home or was like how i had a skill set to live i kept seeking that out whether that was a, a type of person or like a drug that gave me a type of experience in my life whatever that was like I never processed and healed from my trauma. And so it was fucking trauma whack-a-mole and it was mm-hmm. in my songs or it was somebody else. And it was just always there. And I, I think they do that brilliantly in the movie where it's like, you know, as much as she wants to get away from it, she kind of can't.
0: Yeah. And it's really hard in her. She is not the same person. It's, right. And I think that was kind of a really... Confusing choice at first because you're like, this is not the same person because it just jumps a ton of years. Yeah, you're like, why is she talking like that? Yeah, she talks in this like East Coast accent all of a sudden, yeah. and yeah. she's just horrible and mean to everyone and and spoiled. And it's it's and it's funny. Like her performance yeah. in it, she said she was watching like a lot of videos of people spinning out like you said on video and things like that and there's that scene with her and her daughter trying to just have a heart to heart but yeah she's still the daughter's really watching out for her she's really spinning
1: she's a monster too by that point right like i think they do a really good job of showing like yeah what fame and attention over time does to people in kind of an unavoidable way just i just have seen that in real life so much where you're like you know like if you stop with the big sunglasses, everyone will stop looking at us. Like right. if you really want to not be looked at, stop acting that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're talking about you know she is like a, she's had a thirteen million dollar settlement she had to settle, uh, yeah. you know the decade long witch hunt against her. She drank herself blind in one eye from household cleaning stuff, and her sister is basically raising the daughter. You know they're close. They're the the sister her sister and her daughter are no longer close to Celeste. Yeah. And and also she's dealing with all the stuff in the industry. She's like, I'm doing branded content and virtual reality and voices in games, video games. That's where I'm at right now. Even though yeah. I'm a big pop star, I'm also having to hustle and do all this, yeah. which I thought was really a really funny scene, but also really telling because I think pre nineteen ninety eight, it was so easy to to be called a sellout, right? And to just be like, I remember the bunch of Portland bands were asked to do something for Nike, and we were like, No way! Are you kidding? Right. Our careers would be just like yeah. a commercial, right? Yeah, we we'd have no career left, and now. It's like, congratulations, I saw your stuff in that Adidas commercial. Yeah, Mudhoney was not doing TikToks. No, no, not at all. It was not the thing. The time they chose is also a real changing of, you know, there's this genre of music, the American underground had risen up uh, in music and we thought it was gonna change everything and then it got cannibalized and really generic and then it just became, you know, as confusing as ever. Uh, And nothing really changed.
1: No. some things got worse. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, indeed.
0: You know, she she basically has to go to this press conference to talk about what's going on with the shooting. And she's so put out and so exhausted and fucked up and, you know, just a mess that at the press conference, she just goes off. She's just like, you know, when I was a little girl, I used to believe in God, too. If they came to their senses, they can believe in me instead because I'm the new faith and I'm not afraid of them. Invite them to the show, These Cowards in the Masks. I'll put them on the guest list. I've got more number one hits than an AK-475 standard 30-round magazine. Like, that's her (laughs) press conference and people are just like, what? But she gets through
1: it. Doesn't really even move the needle. That's also one of the things that happens, right? Like, she what I took from that was like, she's the way she got to where she is, the thing people love about her is that she's over the top. She's saying these shocking things. It's this like praise, praise, praise for the weird coked out pop star or whatever that yeah. happens. We love it. And also, you know, we don't love it after a certain point. We also love to hate you for doing it. It's like a both thing. So yeah. she kind of can't win. But I think like just showing up as the thing that you always show up as is a, a very natural thing inclination like this is what people want but in a time like that where it's like tragic or like the culture has shifted behind you without you noticing like it just is really gnarly (laughs) there's so many deeply cringe moments in that movie like rye just as a person who like does press or like you know is just sometimes in some of those rooms i watch it just like uh, uh, i can't believe this is happening like it's like a horror movie to me i think specifically because of the industry that i'm in like it's like a visceral saw level horror movie wow well this is the part of
0: the film that i'm very excited to talk to you about which is the concert (laughs)
1: <laughs> and it starts with her having
0: a meltdown with her family. You've seen it in a movie before where there's just like, all right, things are just bad. And now they have to get themselves together. And we're yeah. falling down the, the corridors to the stage. And you're like, are they going to be able to pull it together? And there's a bunch of things I wanted to ask you about. One is that backstage ritual. It's like, all right, we're gonna go, we're gonna say a prayer together and we're gonna pop <laughs> each other up. We're gonna do it. Woo, woo, yeah. woo. And all the dancers and the people do you have anything like that before you go on?
1: Hell no. <laughs> yeah, Neither you know, do I. <laughs> No, I've also like been on tour with Portugal the Man and backstage with Boy Genius and big bands. Yeah. Nobody does that. I know, it's so weird, isn't it? Nobody does that. I think Madonna did that in the movie for the movie, I think Janet Jack- maybe Janet Jackson does it for real. I don't know. Right, like, right. there are probably people that have done it, but like, no, that's not a thing. Everybody's just chugging water and taking a couple hits off the vape, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's very true. I, but I just, I'm, I was fascinated by it because it was, again, something that I've seen so much. And I just was like, I don't think this is that real. I'm, You no. know, but it sure seems to be in movies a lot. And so she goes out and she performs, like you said, like full length tracks.
1: The craziest thing you've ever seen in your entire (laughs) Christ Forsaken life. They play entire songs that you've never heard before. These are just the songs they've written for the movie. They play in their entirety, along with very close up shots of like the choreo, but like not full screen. I... I have decided that what they do is it's also from a sound design standpoint going in and out of her in-ear monitors. So we're hearing what she's hearing and then we're hearing the crowd. Like it's so weird. And it, to me, as a person who uses in-ear monitors and has done this like weird, we're going to do this choreo with the lights, like all that, it just felt very inner experience. And then like the, the outer experience hits her and then she's back in the inner experience, which is how i experience performing so i thought in that way it's very cool i still i've watched this movie a bunch of times and i watched it recently again just to get ready for this i i cannot understand why they did that like that <laughs> the, that part of the movie just doesn't make any sense to me but is kind of the wildest thing that i like the most in a way it's like yeah so committed to you are going to listen to these pop songs and watch what it's like to be on stage. Like you're going to be in the moment. And they, I think that was successful. Like they do suck you into what it's like. Well, there's a bunch of things happening at the same time.
0: One is these you've seen shootings several times in this film. She's in her hometown playing this thing on the anniversary of this tragedy. And there's a part of you that's like, okay, she's going to get shot. There's this kind of weird dread in this hyper pop world where people are screaming and there's, you know, they're throwing all their shapes around on stage. And it was really uncomfortable for me on that. um, Yes. And so I kept waiting. I was like, all right, here's song number three. And I I actually, you know, I turned the volume down a little at home because I just didn't want the sound of a shotgun, like scaring the hell out of me. Totally. we'll get to in a second. There's other reveals that are very interesting in, in terms of a horror moment, I guess you would say. But uh, the other thing that was happening at the same time was I couldn't tell if it was good or not. I was like, yeah. is this a good pop performance? Are they are these dan- are these moves good? She still seems like she's not the best dancer. Yeah. I was. I mean, did you have anything like that, or I mean, you're you. You know, maybe maybe you know what they were referencing more than I would.
1: I think it just showed really up close how goofy it is. <laughs> you know, like that's that true. It really is just kind of like a we're lip syncing, we're doing goofy pop things like this, is, and it is like for me, like the the reason pop is so handy. And the, the, if you look lyrically, oftentimes when I go really deep into pop or dance music, the lyrics are pretty dark. I'm, it's times when I'm really exploring things that I don't feel safe exploring. And so I put this sort of shell of like that dance around right. it. And I feel like that was kind of what was happening there, too, where it's like the trauma or the big message or like all that stuff is happening. But like they're dancing around like weirdos and it's just, it's just like such a spectacle. Yeah, I, I think that was my my main takeaway there was just the spectacle of it all, sort of hiding and making the trauma smaller and smaller and smaller. Like the bigger the spectacle gets, the further in the background the hard part is.
0: Have you ever in your career felt unsafe on stage?
1: Uh I have extreme stage fright. Okay. <laughs> and have always felt unsafe in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not like from a I think from a gun violence or like a a scary stalker sort of thing. Like that always is in my mind since that started happening to people. Yes. I, I think I, I don't do meet and greets. I cancel more shows than I play. I say no more than I say yes. And all of that is because of the world not because something's changed with me um and so i think you know physical safety is one thing this emotional safety piece of like i'm gonna sing about some sort of intimacy or some sort of heartbreak like all that stuff i feel unsafe in general looking at much less talking about or singing about and so i do tend to do um you know i dress it up
0: well you're right. I think she is protecting herself through dance, through the costume, through song. I was really fascinated. I read an article about the people who designed their cat suits, hmm. um, and they they found out that most of the cat suits that are made for professional shows are actually made of really shitty materials. Right, and yeah. they are trying to figure out the level of garishness to do. Like, you know, do we do Bowie badly? What are we going to do? And in the end the costume designers said they weren't thinking about how Natalie would look or appear in the movie. They were thinking of how the Halloween costume that would be based on this outfit would look, <laughs> which I cool. thought was so smart. Like yeah, we're going to do this thing so that the teenagers in the audience will be making their own outfits or buying this yeah. thing. It's not the most elaborate visual thing. It's it's like no. a couple colors with a couple things across it. But I thought that was really cool and, and reading you know about Brady making the film he's like nobody asked for this film No, it did not make any money
1: nobody liked it from what I can tell yes. I mean I think some people like me really like are intrigued by it and own it and, and like it and are like yeah. weird but like it wasn't a hit
0: no and I, I think that the more research I did on it the more passion I found from people who actually did love it and yeah. were really affected by it and it made me, you know, I was already thinking about the film a lot because it is really haunting and dark and funny, but very disjointed. Something that I've talked about on, on the show is some of my favorite records growing up were records that I didn't understand on first listen or didn't yeah. love. And then yeah. I was like, well, I bought it. I own it. I like that one song on side <laughs> two, And then you're like, well, side one has some things. And then, you know, a week later, you're like, I'm obsessed. Yeah. This is means so much to me. And I don't think that film necessarily gets that chance as much. Yeah, but I felt this with it where, you know, when I would talk to people about this, because it was on my mind, I'd be like, yeah, this film, I, it'll be interesting to talk about it because it's such a strong choice. Yeah. It's not like somebody being like, "Let's talk about, you know, Woodstock or let's talk about <laughs> Decline of Western <laughs> yeah. Civilization Part 2." Like I get why. But sure. I was like there's something that made Logan pick this. And then you get a twist
1: <laughs> from yes. the
0: narrator yes. which the, most of the reviews I've seen, the people who love it, this was the part that made them just go like, Oh, my God. Like, and rewatch it. Yeah. So the narrator says, Shortly after the classmate pulled the trigger, she met the devil and made a deal for her life. He would whisper melodies that would bring great change. Close your eyes and repeat after me. One for the money. Two for the show. On three, we get ready. And four, come with me. Yeah. And you're watching (laughs) her perform as an adult, but you're like,
1: what? Wait, what? Yeah, full-blown Satan. Yeah, a deal with the devil. Yeah, which is very music industry or fame, too, right? I mean, I felt like it was a funny choice, but, like, I've made – I've done that. I got to how I am, not because of, like, the goodness of my heart, but, like, we all make choices that are – in line with our values and sometimes not and like that to me felt like a really pronounced like we're gonna do this to get here this is how you get famous you have to sell your soul on some level i actually don't really think that's true but i think a lot of us do that to get what we think we need or where we think we're supposed to go and so the idea that like she actually did that And it worked. It's like, it just seems like a funny... I don't know, it made me laugh. It's It's
0: really weird. This person, when she was a child, super Christian, and is even telling people not to swear in front of them when she's starting out. So even after this deal she's made with the devil, she's still very puritanical.
1: Right, yeah.
0: I was like, well, I haven't seen that. I haven't heard that in this way (laughs) where I'm completely... Didn't see that coming. And it made me think about like the title sequence and everything. It just, it, it did kind of glue a lot of this stuff together. Some of the herky jerky and the things that pull you out. It made it feel more of like, why are you paying attention so much to the traditional story that we're telling here? This is not a film about a pop star. No, this is about so much more. Like you said, it's about trauma. People, Projecting on you and things outside of your control. Yeah. um, You know, addiction. So that to me felt like a little bit of a signature from the director to be like, and I'm done.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Case closed. I did my job. I love that. I think devil shit is hilarious. I always am down. Like one of my favorite movies, the scariest movie in the world is Rosemary's Baby. I love it's that. It's incredible. It and this felt like that to me in a way. Like yes. it's like that level of like, oh, my God, the devil again. He did it again. Or, you know, like I don't know.
0: It's just funny. Well, and it's a cult. This person is trapped in this thing not of their making and believing people and trusting people. And they're like, come in here, do this. Now you got to fly over there. No, don't do that. This and that, you know, when they show her as an adult being a terror, it's like, it's because she's finally like, I get to just be whatever I want. I'm tired of saying yes. I'm tired of people controlling me, which is the whole first part of the film. I really was excited that you brought this to my attention. Something I know that I will talk about again and again with people.
1: It's a trip, and like it's worth a watch. I'd say.
0: I think so too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of every interview, I ask the same question, but I tailor it um, depending on the uh, the film. Okay. But I think after our conversation, I'm going to change my initial question um, because you think the devil is hilarious. So, I do. on a scale from one to ten, how many deals with the devil? do you give this film?
1: (laughs) Uh, With one being the lowest. Is that like 10 10 deals would be perfect film? Yes. I think I'd give it an eight. Eight deals with the devil? That's exactly
0: (laughs) what I had here in Blood. Oh, good. So, (laughs) (laughs) the Dark Lord told me that is the correct answer. So, we're on our way. Great. There'll be a knock on the door later tonight, and uh, there'll be some... Some things you need to sign.
1: I love a traditional deal with the devil. Perfect. I really <laughs> appreciate
0: it, Logan. Thanks so much. Yeah. And congratulations on the new album. Thank
1: you. Talk to you soon. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Revolutions per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday, so be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions per Movie and also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye!